thankful for thy good blessings, uh, the occasion which we can meet freely to give attention to the Scriptures. I pray that we might uh, ponder them in light of the greatness of thy mercy towards us in uh, Christ our Redeemer, uh, in whose name we uh, thankfully pray. Amen. Um, so last week we looked at particular redemption. I uh, just want to remind you of a couple of things. Uh, if you want to turn, we'll just look at one verse. Uh, Revelation chapter 5. Um, I'm sorry? Not on? Josiah, are we on? Yeah, we're, it's on, right? So Revelation uh, chapter 5. So um, keep in mind uh, an important element, and that is both Calvinists and Arminians limit the atonement. Uh, uh, we, we limit the extent for whom Christ died. They, they limit the nature of what He did on the cross. So you just have to kind of sort through that. Uh, one of the reasons I share that is people... People get really excited when you use a phrase like limited atonement because we've just bombarded all our lives with the fact that Christ died for everyone. Um, um, but again, both, both sides uh, uh, limit the atonement. Um, if, if you look at Revelation uh, chapter 5, there's a verse I typically would that would you use? I mean, I know having read Palmer, you're aware of all the verses in John where Christ says, "I lay down my life for his sheep." Well, that's a definite. I mean, that's a definite people. Or I lay down my life for my friends. Once again, definite people. Um, um, so uh, the the, uh, the illustrations are kind of everywhere. Um, Ephesians five: Christ loves his church. Well, well, wait a minute. Not everybody's in the church, so doesn't he love everybody? Uh, so, if you look at Re- uh, pardon, yes, Revelation chapter five, verse nine. So, and they sing a new song, saying, "Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals, for thou wast slain and didst purchase for God with thy blood." Men from every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation. So, it, it, he doesn't purchase everyone. He purchases men uh, from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Yeah. Um, men is not in the Greek text, but... Uh, so he purchases from every tribe. Doesn't purchase everyone. Uh, and and the thing uh, you have to, I think, keep in mind is that um, Christ actually did something on the cross. He purchased. Uh, he bought. Um, you know, it, uh, the purchase is an economic term. You go into a store and you lay down... Uh, Purchase price, whatever it is, you walk out. Ownership transfers from the store owner to you. So there's an actual purchase. Uh, Christ doesn't do possibilities. I mean, if you're the eternal God, I mean, you, you know, you don't do possibilities. You make things happen. Um, 
So uh, um, there's a great illustration, I think, there to, as you talk with people about these doctrinal issues, just to share the truth of the majesty of Christ. Uh, um, you know, think of, think of the Arminian position, uh, which is we all have a free will, so it's possible that no one would ever come to Christ. Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of door they open. Well, that's an impossibility because of what he did, what he did on the cross. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't purchase a possibility. The text doesn't say, uh, he purchased and he died for the possibility that men would come to him or women or boys and girls. Uh, the text doesn't say that. It says he purchased from, um, so it's you know it's really impossible that um, he would he would die uh, uh, just for the po- for the possibility or the contingency. God doesn't do contingency. Yeah. Uh, turn with me if you would. We also talked about uh, irresistible grace. So probably the best. I mean, there's lots of texts there. Um, certainly, you know, John six, John ten. Um, um, John 6.44, no man can come to me except, except for the Father who sent me draws him. And uh, he doesn't forcefully draw us, but he draws us uh, by his efficacious power. So his grace is irresistible. Uh, I like to say that he makes our will willing. It doesn't violate our will. I mean, it's our will. It's our faith. Um, but he makes our will willing in the day of his power. So, um, so this morning we're going to finish up Palmer with Perseverance of the Saints. Um, Gary, is that you? Okay. Yeah, go right ahead. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me get this uh, microphone for you. There you go. Yeah, you might face the camera since you're uh, uh, you're being streamed, Gary, worldwide. <laughs> Don't tell him that. <laughs> what the last letter in Tulip is a P and what it stands for is perseverance. Is that on, Josiah? Yeah. Perseverance, as far as synonyms or what it means, it would be to endure, last, persist, continue, uh, to be steadfast. And a definition for saints are those who were called and responded with faith. In Romans 1.7, we learn that Paul, uh, you said a while ago, a definite group of people, well, Paul labeled uh, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. So there's a definite group again. Uh, John 3.36 is whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. So um, as we go into Palmer's uh, opening, he emphasizes that the saints will persevere in trusting Christ as their Savior. In Romans 8.38... 
we find out nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're given tremendous assurance there that there just isn't anything powerful enough to uh, uh, pull us away from Christ. And then Malachi 3.6, For the Lord does not change, therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Uh, again, we're told for all eternity, we don't have to worry about the contract changing or the deal or the terms changing. Palmer also commented early that one of the grandest thoughts in the Bible is once saved, always saved. We do not need to worry. Our eternal destiny is settled. Out of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Again, emphasis on would be whoever believes. It's That's what the Holy Spirit doesn't push us, but he nudges us and helps us kind of to uh, be open to that, to open to our faith. First uh, Peter 1, 4, 5, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Um, there again, it's, it's giving us uh, a promise that it doesn't fade or go away. It's there forever. John 6.39, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So anyone who is, uh, can fit the definition of a saint, um, they can know that... Jesus will not lose anybody that the Father sent him. When I was growing up, the word saint, I only associated with Catholicism. Uh, I never heard it in Luther, being raised Lutheran, but uh, really in this, this church is where the word saint now has a crystal clear definition for me. So I uh, never really uh, had it clear. The perseverance of God provides major comfort for the saints. So this is letting us know that he's forever and that we can hang on and, and uh, persevere in our lifetime. And even though we may face challenges, uh, still uh, go the course and uh, make it to the end. Philips, Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion the day of Jesus Christ. So uh, we're, we're told that God is going to take care of it and uh, handle it. And then the day of when Christ comes, uh, what God told us, it will still be true. Ephesians 1.13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee. And guarantee, of course, in Scripture, has got a whole lot more meaning than guarantee that we see in the secular world today. Uh, it's a word you can, you can trust. Ephesians 4.30, uh, 
towards the end of it, the, the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The word sealed again, giving us, uh, I guess, an emphasis or uh, an assurance that is beyond just normal communications. Isaiah 54.10, For the mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace, which shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Uh, kind of giving us a insight as to big things can't will happen, uh, but it is not going to shake God from uh, his plans. 1 Corinthians 1, 7, 9, Our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, just one more time of letting us know that uh, God is who called us and gave, it, gave us to Jesus. God 10, 28-29, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Uh, strong words that uh, we can relate to. Is, you know, they, it, you can't be taken away from uh, Jesus. I uh, wanted to read... Uh, ah, thanks. A larger catechism, I think it's 79. Oh, gosh. You may have to read this. I don't think I'm going to be able to focus in this light. So, sorry about that. Um, this is larger catechism, question 79. May not true believers, by reason of their imperfections and the many temptations and sins they are overtaken with, fall away from the state of grace? Answer. True relievers, by reason of the unchangeable love of God and his decree and covenant to give them perseverance, their inseparable union with Christ, his continual intercession for them, and the spirit and seed of God abiding in them, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation." And then just kind of summarize, summarize or, or uh, conclude. Strong sentence, we cannot perish. Our salvation is God's perfect work. And as every day, being in humble, uh, give humble thanks, uh, one line is praise God from whom all blessings flow. Another sentence we should say is praise the Father for his electing love. And also praise the Son for his atoning death and praise the Holy Spirit for his irresistible work. Okay. Thank you, Gary. Uh, very very good. So um, let's, let's talk a little bit about um, perseverance. There are, uh, uh, and, and, and certainly Gary uh, stressed this, there, uh, perseverance to me is like a coin. Uh, you know, take an American quarter. It's got a heads and tails. Um, uh, when some, when you go to the store and something, you say something costs a quarter, including sales tax, blah, blah, blah. Uh, shopkeeper doesn't say, um, give me a heads. Okay. He says, you know, give me a quarter. If you have a quarter. 
uh, and if a uh, quarter has both sides, heads and tails. So that's really uh, the issue in perseverance where one side of the coin is we persevere to the end. The other side, we have assurance. We have the promise uh, of God that we have eternal life. Okay? Um, um, certainly it is true to say once saved, always saved. Uh, but the other side of that coin is uh, those who are always saved uh, look like it and act like it. In other words, they persevere to the end. So, so there really is two issues there. Um, one of the reasons I stress that is um, uh, there are some churches who teach, uh, as, as we do, I mean, certainly I believe once saved, always saved, because Christ can't lose someone he purchased. I mean, that's kind of... Uh, uh, non nonsensical, uh, but there are churches that that would affirm once saved, always saved, in the sense that uh, if if you've made a decision for Christ, if you had faith at some point in your life and you've come to Christ, um, you're always His, and yet you don't have to persevere. Well, you have to persevere. Perseverance, continue to the end, is an essential. Uh, of the faith, okay. So, so both of those issues—assurance, um, security, and the fact that we persevere to the end—and we persevere not just in act, but in content as well. Okay, uh, we we affirm that Jesus is the Christ; He is Messiah, um, and He uh, He came to do the will of His Father. So it's act and content. Um, uh, the reason I share the content is a lot of American churches are uh, in a sad state of drift away from uh, the content of the Christian faith. Uh, getting into pluralism and uh, uh, you know whatever you want to believe. Well, no, you have to believe certain things. You can't just believe whatever you want to believe. There's a certain content of our faith. Um, t- turn with me, if you would, to uh, Romans chapter 15. Uh, this illustrates, I think, uh, the issue that I've just shared with you. So, uh, in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, Paul says, whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. So he's stressing there the importance of perseverance and encouragement to give us hope. Now look at Paul's prayer. Verse 5. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. So God's the giver of it. Okay. Every duty that's placed upon the Christian, God's grace secures that duty. Yes, we have a duty. Yes, we must believe. We must have faith. We must continue to the end. Uh, we must love our brethren. Um, on and on and on. Lots of duties. But God's the giver of them all. So, very, very important point. Uh, so let's, let's do a little bit of historical uh, review here in terms of theological systems. Uh, in salvation, 
uh, the Arminian, and essentially the semi-Pelagian, says um, uh, to become a Christian, uh, you must have faith in Christ. And certainly that, that statement is true. Uh, but they frame it in the, in the context of Christ is his part. Now this is your part. You, you have faith. And, uh, that makes what Christ did, uh, a reality. Uh, uh, I reverse that. What Christ did is reality and he secures our ability to have faith in him. Uh, uh, very, 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 uh, very, very important point. Um, uh, we discussed last week a little bit of the concept of how important all of these points are. They all come together. There's really no such thing as a three and a half point Calvinist or a four point Calvinist. You either are one or you're not. You either have the flu or you don't. Okay? You either have COVID or you don't. You know, my wife is always bringing home these COVID tests. You know, if, if I sniffle, she's shoving one of these things. <laughs> you know, darling, anyway, I just learned to live with it. You know, one of those things. Um, um, you know, appreciate her diligence, but uh, sometimes I think we have too much information. But, but again, I, I, I digress. Uh, uh, the importance, if, if you think about all these positions... If man is totally depraved, and he is, how does someone who's totally depraved have faith? They don't. Because they can't. They need a higher power to make them alive. And uh, a couple weeks ago, we looked at uh, all of the instances in John's first epistle that says we're born again. And part of the fact we've been born again, the tense of that Greek verb, completed action in past time, Continuing results to the presence. If you go back through those texts in John, um, because we've been born again, we believe. Faith is a gift. Based on the new birth. Okay? What comes first? Well, the chicken comes first. We are born again. And because of the new birth, there's a radical transformation that begins in our life. Okay, We believe. Uh, we believe a certain thing, that Jesus is the Christ. Um, we overcome the world. By the way, that would be a synonym to, uh, to perseverance, overcoming. Uh, we overcome the world, John says. Um, and then Paul says in, in Romans chapter 8, we are super overcomers. Okay? Uh, um, the simplex verb is the same simplex verb of perseverance. So perseverance is an absolute necessity. Um, uh, I'll give you a practical illustration of that in, uh, in my own personal life. Uh, occasionally I'll come across a Christian who says, well, you know, I, I, I believe. Uh, yes, I've come to faith in Christ. Yes. Um, so sometimes I will, uh, I will ask them to, uh, define, say, a doctrine like justification. Uh, more often than not, they can't. Just don't have a clue. Uh, so I might explore a little bit further. Well, I mean, uh, you say you're Christian. Tell me what church you're going to. 
Well, I, I don't go to church. I just, I'm a spiritual person. Uh, so, so you see where I'm going. I mean, it, uh, you know, we, we, we know from the book of Hebrews we're commanded to go to church. Uh, we know in the New Testament we're commanded to partake of the sacraments. You can't partake of the sacraments at home even watching it on television. Uh, so, so it's important to recognize that, that true faith has true defining uh, activities that occur that begin to change a person's life. Now, I, I fully uh, understand that it's over time and it's in degree. Uh, but these, to me, are occasions to witness to people about the truth of the gospel. Uh, you can't just say, well, you know, long ago and far away, uh, I... I came to faith, uh, but now I don't. I don't practice any of the elements of the Christian faith. Well, that, I mean, that's an impossibility. Uh, that's like commanding an infant when it's hungry not to cry. That's just what children do when they're hungry. Okay, um, they get noisy. They want to be fed. Well, same thing in life for Christian. He makes our nature new. And having changed our nature, our behavior begins to change. Uh, the illustration I use a lot with people is, you know, uh, in, in fact, I think I've shared this with you, but it's worthwhile to keep in mind uh, because I believe one of the great places to witness today is in the church uh, or people who say they're Christians. Uh, let's say you come over to my house and I say, and you say, well, Phil, what kind of tree is that? Um, um, and I say, well, it's an apple tree. And you say, well, isn't that an orange? Aren't those oranges on that tree? Yeah. So do apple trees bear, bear oranges? No, they don't. Apple trees bear apples. Okay. Uh, and if you think about it, that same analogy is in the Scriptures. Jesus is hungry. He comes to a fig tree. It doesn't have any figs on it. He scorches it and it withers. So, uh, there, uh, there is going to be fruit in our lives. Because that's what the new birth, uh, produces. If you think of, uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit. Okay. It's very interesting. He sang about this the other day. The word fruit's in the singular. And then he lists a bunch of elements of the fruit of the Spirit. Why isn't it plural? Because I think he's talking about uh, fruit of the Spirit as a whole basket uh, of decisive elements. So let's talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And by the next one? Faithfulness. Faithfulness, that's perseverance. He makes you, He causes you by the work of the Spirit in the new birth to be faithful. No such thing as a Christian who came to Christ long ago and far away who's not producing those fruit, that fruit. So, perseverance. Uh, okay, turn with me if you would. See how far, I don't know how far we'll get here, but we'll, we will, uh, turn to the second page. 
and go down to Roman numeral 7, sacraments. Okay. Um, if you look there under introduction, uh, the Roman, the Episcopal, and Eastern churches, uh, if this was England, I'd say Anglican churches, Roman, reference to the Roman Catholic Church, and by Eastern churches, all the Orthodox churches, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, whatever Orthodox, all those churches have seven sacraments. Okay. Um, and what's very, very critical, I, I asked an Episcopal priest this once, and uh, I didn't really get a clear answer, but uh, in in the Roman Catholic Church, definitively, the grace of God is conveyed through those sacraments. Uh, that's the massive difference between Grace Bible Church and, say, uh, whatever Roman Catholic Church. Uh, I don't convey the that I don't convey the grace of God. I might be the means that God uses in the preaching of the Word, but I don't convey anything because I don't have the power to convey it. Okay? Only Christ conveys uh, His grace. Roman Catholic Church, the church is dispensing the grace of God. Okay? So for example, in, in paedo-baptism or infant baptism, uh, when, a, when an infant is uh, baptized in the Catholic Church, there's an actual washing away of the guilt of sin. Okay. So there's a conveyance, conveyance by the priest of the grace of God. There's an actual event that occurs. So that's, that's a very critical element. Okay. Obviously, we... We, uh, we reject that. Um, uh, grace, if you look at the second line, grace is conveyed in the sacraments. So what are the sacraments in, in those uh, three systems? Baptism, penance, communion, confirmation, marriage, ordination, and anointing the sick. So those are their seven, seven sacraments. Um, you know, uh, people, you know, if, if, if you were a Roman Catholic and you were on your deathbed, you would want the priest to come and convey the grace of God uh, uh, in the sacrament of, you know, anointing the sick. Priest comes to the hospital. If he can get there, you know, and he's going to go through his. You know, I don't. I'm not familiar with whatever the rites are, uh, but there's actual grace being conveyed to make sure that you're as forgiven as you can be, if you will. Yeah, to me, that's um, obviously I reject that. There's seven. Um, uh, there, there is also a particular denomination. Uh, I think it's in the Baptist realm that practices foot washing as a sacrament 
based upon its placement in the Gospel of John, which does not uh, contain the institution of the Lord's table. So they practice foot washing. Um, I've only known one, uh, when I was in business, I uh, had a plant manager that held that the washing of feet was a sacrament. So they would, you know, occasionally uh, um, take off your shoes and socks and someone would come and wash your feet. Um, again, that's that's not a, um, a sacrament that uh, we would hold to uh, here. Um, so, in in the Reformed Church, of which we are a part, there are only two sacraments, and that would be the Lord's Table, uh, obviously, um, uh, and and baptism. Uh, what makes something a sacrament? Uh, in my mind, it's Christ placing special emphasis uh, upon those events. For example, the sacrament of the Lord's table, this do in remembrance of me. Well, that makes it kind of special. We're to do it in remembrance of Him. Okay. Um, obviously, baptism. Um, uh, reflective uh, of an element uh, of the new covenant. New covenant obviously being very special. Inaugurated by whom? By Christ. In the shedding of his blood. So, uh, it's not that we can go uh, someplace in the New Testament and find Jesus saying, these are my two sacraments. We just know because of how they're described that he places great emphasis, uh, special emphasis upon them. That's what makes them a, a sacrament. Um, in um, um, some Reformed churches, as you know, uh, they would hold to uh, a pedo baptism or infant baptism. Uh, now, what's, what's the difference between that and, say, uh, the Roman Catholic Church? Uh, which is a very important question. The, the emphasis would be in those churches, I don't subscribe to this, but I don't have a problem with it either. Because uh, there's, I mean, there's pretty gifted scholars that break out on both. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm certain, I'm, I'm kind of like John Bunyan. You know, Bunyan was, uh, essentially a Baptist, but, um, because of unity in the church, he had one of his infants baptized as an infant. It just was a secondary issue to Bunyan. Uh, and, and again, I think it is kind of a secondary issue. You know, we have enough things to argue over uh, without arguing over essentially everything and then chopping up the church until such a point the church has little impact. Um, uh, the difference in Reformed churches, particularly Presbyterian churches, uh, um, and um, I believe the uh, what's the Dutch Reformed Church anyway I've forgotten the label of the denomination uh, uh, they would affirm paedo-baptism in the sense that the infant or the child is brought under the protection of the church 
It has no salvific power whatsoever, as in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, but it brings the, the child under the protection of the church. In that sense, children, though they are unregenerate for whatever reason, certainly in some cases, uh, just their age, they haven't come to faith in Jesus Christ, uh, uh, they are still under the protection, the spiritual protection of the church, which is a powerful reminder to us of the importance of the church. Uh, because the world, uh, if you will, the world is out to get us and destroy us. The kingdom of darkness is hell-bent to recover you. But it's in the church that we are reminded we have a measure of spiritual protection in the, in, in the sacraments, in the proclaiming of the word, in Christian fellowship, in Bible studies, on and on and on, so that we have spiritual protection. Typically, as Americans, we don't think in those terms. We just, well, yeah, I go to church, I check the box, I'm a good person, whatever. But we should think in those terms, particularly with respect to our children. We should pray for our children, that God in His grace would, uh, would protect them, that God in His grace, at some point in their lives, give them, by His saving power, uh, the new birth, cause them to be born again. Um, so, uh, I mean, it's not to say that there aren't lots of places where you can hear God's Word. There's Christian radio. There's Sometimes you'll read a, board, uh, uh, a uh, bulletin board in the highway that has a Christian message. But chiefly the institution, the major single institution that God has ordained to advance His Word is the church. That's not to undermine Bible studies and Christian radio and all those, you know, important elements. But he, uh, he leaves behind his departure, the church. Uh, so that's uh, that's the point of the Presbyterian Church of the uh, um, Dutch Dutch Reformed Church. You oftentimes will find up in you know northern places, Minnesota, whatnot. Um, uh, it is a bringing the child under protection of the covenant. So it's that sense, it's it's covenantal. Um, and again, I, I I just would emphasize too a very important point. If you haven't been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you need to be baptized. Now, if you've been baptized in the past, Grace Bible Church accepts the baptisms of other churches as long as. It's done in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, that's something you need to think through. Um, um, so, let's talk about very quickly, uh, I've got five minutes, we'll see how far we get, of the Lord's table. Sacrament of the Lord's table. Uh, uh, Roman Catholic Church holds to transubstantiation that the elements uh, become uh, the body and blood of Christ. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to a Roman Catholic uh, service where they issue the elements. I've only been to one or two, particularly uh, funerals. Um, 
but they um, uh, they take special care of the elements. Okay, why? Because once the priest has uttered the the words, that that transformation takes place. Uh, in some cases, I think here in the this as you know, this used to be a Catholic church. Um, there used to be a light that would go on, symbolizing that reality. Okay, so it's not just some, you know, minor thing. <laughs> I don't. I, I never could figure out who threw the light on, but I, I kept my mouth shut. My wife's always elbowing me in the side. But, yeah, you don't need to bring this up, Bill. Oh, um, uh, Episcopal churches do the same thing. We have to have to dispose of it in a special way. Um, 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 if memory serves me, I've had Catholics tell me, uh, take the wine for example, they just couldn't pour it down the drain. Yeah, the priest the priest would drink it, drink it all. Yeah, is is that your background? Oh, okay. So go ahead. I mean, so so share with me. Having been a member, share with me what your of the what? Okay. Okay. That's funny. That's that's hilarious. Everybody hear that? Oh, geez. Oh well. Oh my. Would the would the would the priest drink all the wine? Yeah. 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 Well, again, I don't I don't want to be disrespectful, but uh, to me, just there's a measure of that which. Um, but that's transubstantiation. Um, uh, the elements are actually transformed, the body and blood of Christ. So, um, Lutheran churches hold to consubstantiation. Yeah. That, do you agree with that, Gary? Not transubstantiation, consubstantiation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's something to the effect of the presence of Christ is over, under, left and right, just all around. I, I'm, I, I'm not, you know, don't know that much about the Lutheran Church, uh, other than decisively the Lutheran Church, uh, upon the death of Martin Luther, and because of the influence of Philip Melanchthon became, uh, Arminian. Um, the um, uh, 
in a lot of evangelical churches, certainly uh, Baptist churches, uh, the Lord's table is a memorial service. So this do in remembrance of me. Okay. Um, so we we are we are remembering now. Certainly, there's an element of that that's very very important. Uh, at at uh, uh, at this church, as is common, almost every Reformed church, regardless of stripe, color, size, uh, we reject all those positions, even though we would affirm the element of memorial for the spiritual presence of Christ. He's not literally physically present, but he's spiritually present. Okay, there's a spiritual presence. Um, because uh, the hour is gone, we'll look at uh, some verses to that end. Um, but the thing that I, 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 I do remind you of, um, in almost all uh, Protestant churches, notwithstanding the Anglican Episcopal, um, there are simply two sacraments, the Lord's Table, uh, and baptism, and both of them are very, very important. I mean, they are important here. We we practice the Lord's table and we practice baptism uh, out of faithfulness to our to our Lord. Um, Suzanne, thanks for sharing. I, um, were you in a convent or something? I mean, did you nuns were teaching? Okay. Wow. Wow. Oh my, oh my, scars and man. <laughs> well, that's um, um, that, that's it. But but I but I appreciate you affirming uh, what I what I just said. So um, okay. Well, I'm sorry I've kind of gone over, but let's uh, let's close uh, time with a word of prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we're we're thankful for uh, historic review. Uh, Thankful that we could uh, rehearse uh, the majesty of the accomplishments of our Redeemer in um, uh, irresistible grace, uh, particular redemption, and in uh, the reality that because of the new birth, we continue to the end faithful, holding fast the word of life. I pray that in our own private devotions, we would ponder these majestic truths and grow in grace uh, in light of them and depend upon that grace each and every day. Uh, we're also thankful, Lord, for the institution of the sacraments. Uh, may we give due attention to them uh, as part of the commandments of our great Redeemer and uh, practice them uh, faithfully uh, for thy kingdom's sake, uh, for the glory of uh, our great Redeemer, uh, who is Christ alone. It's in His name we pray. Amen.